2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. This was meant to be and will be an EFL special. We looked at the three Premier League fixtures and thought we'll be able to get through that pretty quickly. 21 goals later and we will stick to our promise but answer the big questions. on earth happened to Everton. Suddenly the greatest counter-attacking team in Europe. Adulé de Couré, an elite finisher. Dwight McNeil turning into Jeff Hurst. Blimey, a massive win for Forrest over must-be-surely-relegated Southampton. And then Leicester wilting under the bright lights in the afternoon of West London and then to the EFL we knew about Burnley and Sheffield United but below them are Millwall 3-1 up and a playoff place assured until a disastrous second half against Blackburn which means against Wilson's wishes Sunderland creep in we'll celebrate the achievements of Mowbray, Robbins, Carrick and Edwards in League 1 some overdue praise for Plymouth Uh, there's congratulations for Northampton after last year's heartbreak in League 2 and a goodbye to Rochdale plus all the big stories in between your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly On the panel today uh from the excellent not the top 20
3: podcast george elic welcome thank you good i was going about to say good morning to you but i guess it's good night isn't it for you uh of so, so late after it's neighbors time okay you know it's good oh, afternoon lovely. it's UK, uk
2: neighbors time i mean it's i don't know when it's on here coming back soon. obviously because once you're in australia you don't watch it it's great news still going for that cameo i i mean the interesting story about this well i'll work on the rest of the panel uh car parks ben fisher hello hi max how are you doing yeah, very good, thank you. And a debut for uh Sanny Rudravajula. Welcome, Sani. Good day, Max. Yes. I had an audition, George, to be in neighbours, right? No. I had a like a proper audition for a proper part, and it was on the Friday. And on the Thursday, they cancelled the whole, <laughs> the whole show. Because they clearly looked at what they were doing on Friday and went, We can't. It's got to <laughs> these depths, right? <laughs> so anyway, it's back, so you never know. Um, they
3: probably was, they probably uh, found out your fee, Max, and was like, uh-oh, if we, we can't I would, entertain listen, this. I would
2: pay, I would pay <laughs> good money to be in Neighbours. Anyway, listen, um, uh, it is an EFL pot. I guess we're discussing teams uh, who might have the pleasure of being in the EFL uh, next season. First up, so many goals yesterday, very much the Boxing Day 1963 graphic that we need. We'll deal with them in ascending order. Six goals at Brighton, seven at Forest, then eight at Fulham. Brighton won Everton, five. Gary says some of the comments about Everton and Brighton from yesterday's pod have not aged well. Uh Johnny says, How many scientists would it take to explain that Everton victory? Um Sally, not an easy one to start with. Where on earth did that come from?
4: Um, I think the rebirth of Dwight McNeil under Sean Dyche seems to have something to do with it. The the second goal he scored as well, just, you know, full of confidence. That that near post, go high. Um and, you know, I guess. This is the Sean Dyche effect, right? Just very much delayed. You know, that was the whole thing. You know, let's get them all riled up. Let's get them all playing the way he wants to. Uh, and, you know, I suppose Brighton were very open, though. I mean, one of the goals that came across, there was no one at the back stick at all. I think it's just one of those times where everything just kind of fell into place. And uh, yeah, a, just a crazy performance.
2: I still don't know, George. I mean, you're, I think, I think Sunny's right. Dwight McNeil was brilliant in that game and has been better since Sean Dyche arrived. But I just don't think anyone could have seen this coming.
3: There's like that cliche about scoring too early and I feel like this is the opposite where given Everton needs to play on the counter-attack, I think scoring after 34 seconds meant that the, the way the game then developed with Brighton having to basically put as many people forward as possible meant that Everton were able to counter in, in the way that they could. I mean, they're, they're obviously helped by um, some wasteful finishing by uh, by Brighton. Everton themselves took their chances very well when they did it. Um, and it's not you know it's not the first time that we've seen Deich, un, well, Deich is Everton come up with a big result. You know, we have to think about quite a long way, but they did beat Arsenal um, only, you know, a a couple of months ago. 1-0. Was
2: that his first game?
3: Yes. And then they were dispatched by Liverpool shortly after that. But it's, um, yeah, you know, Sean Dyche is a very good football manager. And in my opinion, he took over from a not particularly good football manager. And therefore we're seeing times where Everton put in a much improved performance. And, you know, we were, I, I was having discussions with people over the last couple of weeks about where Everton would fit into the championship next season. A lot of people thinking they would be in danger of of a difficult spell in the championship. Some thinking that because of their size and their, their resources and because they need to bounce back, they'd be okay. I think that we're probably not going to find out now because under Dyche, if they can put in a performance of that quality over the next four games, um, they should be able to pull away from the pack pretty easily. It was an, an unbelievable display of counter-attacking football.
2: Ben, you see quite a lot of the teams down the bottom of the Premier League I mean, actually, in terms of like performances from all of them all this season, it's sort of up there, isn't it? And okay, Brighton might have been a bit tired, they're a bit, bit leggy and you can always have a game where you don't quite turn up. But it was it was just unbelievable. It was just... I just don't think I've seen Everton play like that since the dogs of war days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. I saw um, Everton at Leicester last Monday and there was glimpses of, you know, a team that, you know, has has the tools to stay up, but... In that, yes, like, as you say, it was something we haven't seen certainly for a long time. It's mad as well because you know, this was a team that was the lowest scorers in I think the top four, five, even probably as far down as the fifth and sixth divisions in English football. They scored what seven goals in two games. Some of the Everton players I know were saying you know about feeling like that Calvert Lewin being back. was saying about feeling liberated and I don't know, quite quite a positive noise to, to make, I suppose, in terms of for for a team that's right down there. I have to say I don't understand why it's after the event, but. I do think and did think Deitch would keep Everton up. Um, as George said, he is a, you know, he has proven he's a very good manager, did amazing job as we know it, Burnley. Um, and there are some good players in the Everton team. But let's as I said, you know, let's not discount what was a incredible result and certainly one that nobody saw coming.
2: I agree with Sani that the the Dwight McNeil sort of pound land Jeff Hurst finish was great. I really loved the goal he scored before. Any time when a player knows they're about to score a goal, is brilliant. He should have absolutely hammered it, you know, really for full effect. is absolutely smashed that one. So look, that's Everton's win. Um, I know Everton fans might be disappointed we're not talking about it for hours and hours and hours. We will, of course, cover Everton again in the, on Monday, certainly. Um, let's go to the city ground. Forest beating Southampton 4-3. You were there. You, you measured the WhatsApp group before saying you'd be reporting on a goalless draw. Didn't quite turn out like that. In terms of scoring pattern, it's not the perfect 4-3. We needed it to go 3-3 and then 4-3. And actually... I don't know. Were Forest in in more more in control than the scoreline suggests?
0: Yes, uh, although there was a definite spell of twenty minutes or so where it got very nervy, very touchy. I have to say that b- before kick off, actually yesterday, um, there was just an amazing moment. A chap a few uh, rows in front of me sort of turned around. Is, is um, all the Forest fans uh, sang to uh, uh, Molyneux Kintyre uh, of their sort of adopted anthem. And, uh, obviously, under the lights, that's, that's pretty good at the best of times. But last night, it was just ridiculous. It was pretty, uh, pretty special. And the, and the bloke just turned around, obviously, a season ticket holder or something, sort of turned to the press box and said, you know, goosebumps. And it, and it was it was like that. It, it was pretty uh, pretty special. Uh, Steve Cooper definitely seems to think that the, the fans more than play their part in getting them over the line. I think he said, you know, when, when we need them, they drag us over the line. And they needed to do that because it did get a bit hairy for them. Southampton, who you kind of thought would be dead and buried at 3-1 when they get that goal. You... I don't know if Forrest was kind of suddenly on the ropes. Uh, I saw when um, Southampton bringing on Paul uh, Oanacu, the, the big six-foot-seven striker, you could see immediately Cooper Allen Tate, his assistant, call for Willie Boley, you know, to to match him up. It was just, it was a mad game of football, but it was... <laughs> There were some brilliant moments of quality as well. Let's let's not forget that. Brennan Johnson was superb. um, And what a player he has been and will continue to be, I think. Uh, Danilo showed a couple of really good touches. But it was also kind of dreadful in in patches. But that kind of made it all the more entertaining. Uh, Just a great spectacle. Yeah, and and the moment when Bella Kochup uh, did his hamstring trying to keep Chase with Johnson was my uh, particular highlight. I think I put in my report he he was floundering like Scrappy-Doo and uh, his legs sort of going... Uh, yeah just a brilliant game great great game to be at and Forest now have something really to cling on to
2: how George how we've talked a lot about their signings like is this Forest team just like just it's not really the same team at all is it <laughs> in the one that you would have probably watched in detail last year like, how many have managed to cling, cling on to it still being
3: it? I mean they're Probably the, the most important player is the same in, in Brennan Johnson, who you know was their star player coming up last season and is still um, arguably their star player now. Um, but in terms of, of the other players looking through the team yesterday, Ryan Yates um, was the only other one, and then coming off the bench, you had you had uh, Joe Worrell who came off the bench. Um, yeah, I mean the churn has been massive,
2: which really tells you, which really tells you, like quite what Steve Cooper's managed to do here, Sanni, to, to even to keep them in contention.
4: Yeah, it is quite amazing when you think about the turnover of players. And, you know, I was just double-checking Taiwo Wanyi. Those were his first goals since January. He's had a big injury uh, patch in the middle of that. And you just think, well, how how is he managing to rejig this team, you know, and try to get them all playing together, like Danilo coming from Brazil. And uh, Felipe, who, you know, I was at the uh, Nottingham Forest-Manchester United game, and he was just an outstanding player. He's far better than the rest of that team, kind of keeping them all intact, in if you like. And, and at the end, you know he's the sort of player they need to perform week in, week out. And he's, he's what, really old. (laughs) He's, he's, he's one of the older ones. Uh, So yeah, down to Steve Cooper kind of pulling them all together and no infighting by the sounds of it either, despite, you know, only 11 starting places.
0: The the management of that, that group is (laughs) pretty incredible. I, I was looking last night actually, and you could almost have an EFL team of yesteryear, which are just milling around the sort of forest reserves. Lyle Taylor still contracted to the club. Harry Arter, who everybody's kind of forgotten about, who, um, triggered a, a, a clause.
2: Do you know what? I had I had forgotten about Harry Arta and I apologise to him.
3: And Lewis O'Brien currently playing at DC United having been taken out of the, the squad in January. It's...
0: Yeah, Steve Cook, obviously, who was a massive part of, of uh, the Bournemouth team that got promoted then the Forest team last season. He's not in the 25-man squad. So there's plenty of players around the uh, the Forest training. Room, many of whom are training with the under-23s now. But, um, you know... On a serious note, as Sandy said, there hasn't been any obvious uh, infighting anyway, at least from, from the outside looking in. And um, t- to actually do that, I think, is is pretty special.
4: Ben, you say Lyle Taylor is uh, is still part of the squad. I-, I think my mate was in Edinburgh and saw him at the Edinburgh Fringe <laughs> back at the start of the
3: season. So I don't know how much he's actually actually still there. I'm not quite convinced on that. It's going to be an interesting summer anyway, I think, at, at Forest, regardless of if they stay up or not, because it does feel like a lot of this transfer business has basically been conducted above Cooper's head and I am unsure how happy he is at the club regardless if they stay up or go down it wouldn't be a massive shock in my mind if there was a change of management at Forest even if they do do stay up it it feels like you know they've obviously made changes in terms of of the personnel sitting between Cooper and the owner Um, but yeah as I say it wouldn't surprise me if Cooper was angling for for a move at some point.
2: Despite so many votes of confidence, he'll turn around and say, you might be confident in me, but I'm <laughs> yeah. not confident in you. Let's go to um, uh, uh, Fulham, to Craven Cottage. And I mean, 5-3, Ben, gives Leicester too much credit in this, don't they? They, were, they totally wilted. And Fulham were great, but you just look at all their... Fi- you look at their fixtures, you look at games you might have, and you think, a mid-table side... This Is where we have to get some points from,
0: yeah. Agreed, really. Uh, you know, if it wasn't already, it looks really ominous for Leicester now. And, and I think the thing, uh, with, when Dean Smith came in, obviously, a lot of, was made of Craig Shakespeare, obviously, ex Leicester assistant and then manager coming in with him, but also John Terry, who obviously, um, you know, has his own reputation clearly as a defender. Um, but but Leicester's defending has been shambolic. I mean, against Everton, it You know, they were lucky, really, I I suppose, in some ways. You can make the argument that Everton maybe could have won that game. And then yesterday, I mean, it Fulham just speaks for itself, the way they crumbled, soft centre again. So, to be fair, had had a a couple of very good games since Dean Smith come in, but him and Fass at at the back. And not just those two, as James Madison stressed afterwards, you know, it's defending as a team. Madison's post-match interview always speaks very honestly, looked pretty broken uh, to me. And I think the team spoke to somebody the other week uh, quite quite close to Leicester and they were just saying they think there's probably a little touch of complacency there and hence how they've got into the situation with, you know, we'll be alright we'll be okay we'll win this one and as you say Max you're looking at the Fulham game thinking maybe this is you know one where we need to or should be picking up points or targeting points and to, to lose in the manner they did at this stage of the season and then to make things worse obviously with Forest winning uh, yeah they've got it all to do haven't
2: they yeah and, and actually other people have made that point on the pod that perhaps of all these sides perhaps only Bournemouth were really totally ready for a relegation scrap and and that's part of the reason why they've been so good. Who's going down then for you, Sandy? You know, Saints are gone. We'll say they're gone. Leeds are 30 points from 35, Leicester 30 from 35, Everton 32 and Forest 33 points.
4: I mean I must caveat this by saying I've got a bit of bias here because my work reporting for Premier League clubs in the north is incumbent on northern teams staying up so I kind of would like <laughs> I kind of would like Leeds and Everton to stay up for that reason. Uh but I think you know before Allardyce came in uh, I, I would have thought Leeds would go down, but you know, cause Javi Gracia, I was at his press conference uh and like two, three weeks ago, and uh right near the end there was a, a freelance journalist just came out with like, have you lost the dressing room? And it didn't, you know, if, it, if that was Allardyce, he would have just gone off on one. But I think because something got lost in translation, he didn't quite kind of feel it. And you just think, right, well, now they've got this guy and who's gonna really, you know, kick him up the backside. Perhaps Leeds can get out of it. Having said that, they're kind of running out of games, aren't they? So maybe it's as you are at the moment, Southampton, Leeds and Leicester.
2: Any advances on that, chaps?
3: No, I, mean, I, I do think there's a, a small glimmer of hope for both Leicester and Leeds, not in terms of their own form performances, but just that when you look at the fixtures of both Forest and, uh, and Everton coming up, you know, Forrest next two games... I know that a trip to Stanford Bridge isn't what it used to be, but um, Chelsea and Arsenal, they're next two, it's, it's pretty conceivable they won't pick up anything from those two games. Everton hosting Man City next up, so you know if Leeds or Leicester can just find a win from somewhere before that final game, uh, it's still you know, that two point gap um, probably won't grow um, unless they and uh, if they do lose their games.
2: All right, that'll do for part one. Uh, we'll start with the Championship in part two.
1: Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, the long-awaited, as promised, EFL update. Uh, There are other EFL pods available that do this in great detail. (laughs) Uh, thanks for the one you did yesterday, George, where all my insight <laughs> comes from. Uh, for this, let's start at the top of the championship. We've talked a bit about Burnley and a bit about Sheffield United this season. It feels to me, George, that Burnley have been favourites to win since everyone watched that Huddersfield game. Cause it was a Friday night. There was no other football on. We were interested to see Vincent Company and we were like, what on earth has he done to Burnley? And it, and it sort of
3: carried on like that. Cannot believe you started the EFL section by saying you only watched it because nothing else was on. Um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, they've been, um, you know, um, Ali and I from NTT20 are quite smug because we, you know, we called it early on. But I don't think anyone could have foreseen just quite how impressive this has been from company. And as I said yesterday in the party, you know, when you think about it, this is a transition season for Burnley. Um, they came down from the Premier League, having played a certain style for the best part of a decade. Um, the manager who had been such a massive part of that had left halfway through that season. It was a new league. It was a new group of players. Um, You know, even though the likes of Josh Brownhill, Jack Cork, Ashley Barnes remained, there there was a huge churn of players over the course of of both the summer and then January. And a manager in Vincent Company who, you know, depending what you read, people who just look at the league table uh, seemed to have just decided he did a poor job at Anderlecht whereas actually if you speak to people who know a fair bit about Belgian football they'll tell you that the job he did in, under pretty difficult circumstances was very impressive um, and he came to Burnley having not managed before in the EFL the latest of these kind of Premier League superstars to, to grace the, our presence down in, in the Championship but Unquestionably, the most impressive of any of them. Um, it seems to be a trend now where a lot of neutral fans are very keen to strip any, you know, any praise away from managers when the, you know, resources at the club are mightily impressive. But when you look at the three teams who came down from the Premier League last season, and you see Watford and, and Norwich languishing in mid-table, you now yesterday Norwich were beaten one-nil at home by relegated Blackpool. The job that Vincent Kompany has done has been a ten out of ten job in terms of implementing a style of football that is so at odds to what we've seen from Burnley in the past. It's expansive, it's attacking, it's possession-based. You know, the famously small pitch at Turf Moore now looks absolutely massive, given the width they play with. Um, the individual stories coming from this season, the player Manuel Benson, who scored, I think, 13 goals from an expected goals of three over the course of the campaign, just getting the ball on the right-hand side, coming onto his left foot and just firing it into the top left-hand corner, basically every time he gets the ball. Um, they've been a joy to watch. One of the best teams I think we've seen in, in recent years in the EFL. I'd love to have that fabled mini league between them, Bielsa's Leeds, Farkas uh, Norwich a second time round. Um, you know, they're a lot of quality teams that have come through uh, in, in recent seasons. But um, I think Burnley have been one of the best. And I'm, 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 I'm surprised but delighted that company signed a new deal. Not surprised at all. He's been linked to some of the biggest jobs going. Um, and as i said in the past, I think he'll certainly have his eye on that that City role after Pep Guardiola moves on. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with Burnley next season in the Premier League if they do stick to their guns and carry on playing this style of football.
4: Well, we kind of see teams that are well run like this with that style of play do decent in the first season. And then it kind of all comes apart in the second season when they get found out a bit. I mean, you know, George mentioned... Manuel Benson, he does score that same goal every time and I wonder against the Premier League uh, left-back, maybe they'd be able to counter it to stop him cutting inside. I think they definitely need to recruit some more players but I think one of the strengths that Vincent Kompany's had this season is you know, he brought in these players, a lot of them from Belgium and, and he wasn't afraid to rotate them either. It's not like they've been heavily reliant on uh, Benson alone. Uh, I know Josh Brownhill is one of the standout ones, but you know, even even one of the fullbacks, Vitinho, who came in from Circlay Bruges, uh, who did brilliantly. So they've got a, a deep enough squad and there's enough quality there. Maybe they need a little bit of extra steel. They're losing the battering ramp that is uh, Barnes, of course, up front, so maybe they need to recruit there and maybe another centre-half, but I think they'll do okay in the first season at least.
2: God, I'm sad that, where's Ashley Barnes going? Why, why can't why can't he just have a swan song?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of gave him that. I mean, Jordan North, the Radio 1 DJ, gave him a big send-off at Turf Moor. Uh, so he definitely milked it and then he scored as well. So, I mean, it, yeah. But, I mean, you, you could just keep him on.
3: Experience and all that. Why not? I think as one of the most unlikely Austrian footballers around in terms of his <laughs> uh, eligibility to play for them, it would be <laughs> if he could go off and play for Sturm for a couple of seasons just to, to finish off.
2: Paul Bottom Ben, gets no credit ever because, he, you know, it's just not a f- interesting. I
0: don't know if it's it long. Is it his long name? Is that is that against him? I don't know what it, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to really struggle then.
2: <laughs> I was going to, yeah. I was always going to ask that question again because I just hadn't got a question. But I was going to say it's just almost like the other managers who've got into the playoffs, and we'll get to them. Seem to get more praise than than Heckenbottom
0: Bottom. has done an unbelievable job. Uh, I think the, the the key thing which he's done, and he's managed to keep his players focused amid a lot of. Uh, destabilizing noise, uh, unsettling uh things in terms of ownership, possible ownership. Um, I know the the CEO Stephen Bettis, has said you know suppliers haven't been paid on time at different points and things. Um, you know, it's, it, a lot of the noises that have come out of uh, Sheffield United throughout the season is stuff kind of synonymous with a team that is you know struggling up against it down the other end of the division. So to to get to Wembley as they did in the cup, obviously to to the semis, uh, and to go up automatically. Uh, yeah, really good job. George Baldock the other week said, um, uh, talking of players with interesting uh, heritage, George, obviously he plays for plays for Greece. You know, he said that Bottom is criminally underrated. And, and I'd go along with that, to be honest. Uh, interesting, obviously, how, how he came into the job. I think people maybe see him as this kind of, I don't know, kind of PE teacher, kind of just interim caretaker guy. But, you know, this guy did brilliantly at Barnsley quite a few years ago, albeit now. Um, maybe was a little bit unlucky at Leeds. Uh, obviously, we, we know the expectations there. And fair play to him at Sheffield United. Um, it's got them up. And I think, you know, Slavisa Jukanovic when Sheffield United appointed him what last season early, I remember thinking, oh, that's a good appointment. That, that, that'll that work. A bit like Chris Wilder at Middlesbrough, I suppose. And obviously, it really didn't it, it, anything but. And, and Heckingbottom had to pick up the pieces. So, yeah, all credit to him. And um, they play some really good stuff too.
2: Uh, let's talk about the final day. And the in the playoffs now, we've got Sunderland who crept in. They'll play Luton. Uh, Coventry will play Middlesbrough Um, but Stanley the final day was all about Millwall being 3-1 up just being there in the playoffs you could see when the third goal went in the crowd just basically celebrating in that way where you go we've done it now and then the wheels just fell off in that second half
4: yeah just incredible Uh, looking forward to talking about this one you know you've had uh, 3-1 at half time Duncan Watmore he scored two he's done the little baby rock celebration twice that means he's having twins but he's, he's done it Everything's happy. Everything's great. And just don't understand what they've done there. But they've had this soft underbelly of Millwall throughout this season. And Gary Rower afterwards talked about, you know, they've not been able to deal with the pressure. Um, the previous week, they won at Blackpool 3-2 uh, and I was at that game and they, that sent Blackpool down. But the fact that they conceded two to Blackpool and left Blackpool in it for so long kind of gives you an idea of where this side clearly have a soft underbelly. And Tom Bradshaw, who's been brilliant at them up front, has kind of bailed them out a few times. But... I mean, if you're a Millwall fan, you must be feeling so ill. There's the scenes at full time; they were just shocked, just couldn't believe it, especially against a Blackburn side. And Ben Brereton Diaz, he's not going to play for them anymore. He's he's got no reason to be putting in a shift like he did, and he was brilliant.
2: Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Merce, Merce was covering it on Soccer Saturday, and people watching that are saying he he might thought he might actually explode <laughs> do, 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 doing this game. And uh, George, like, I know you're very pro John Dell Thomason and, and Diaz as well gets so much press, obviously, because of the Chile story and like, his goals. How many did he score? It felt like he scored a lot, <laughs> but like he's he's um, he's a brilliant player. I just don't know how good he is, right? And I, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know where where he goes next and how far you think he could go.
3: I mean, there's been a lot of talk that he's um, off to Spain, is, is the rumour. Um, I think Villarreal was, was one that was, was touted about making contact back in January, whether or not that's still the case. Because I think his, his stock has definitely fallen over the course of this season. Um, maybe scoring a couple of goals on the final day helps that. So, given that a few weeks ago Blackburn was sitting in the playoffs and Tony Mowbray Sunderland were, were sitting in 11th, and, and Sunderland have gone on this crazy, impressive run to finish the season, and it's a Blackburn win on final day that gets Mowbray into the top six, is, you know, I think Mowbray will um have a wry smile on his face that it was Blackburn who helped him get there. But, you know, for, for Rovers, that was their first win in nine. Um, It's been a, a really torrid end of the season in terms of results. I personally don't think the. Performances have been as bad as the results, but then at the same time they were the big data outlier for the first six months of the season, where any kind of data point you looked at, whether it was xG ratio, shots, whatever you wanted to look at, had them as a a mid-table team at best, but they were sitting in third. So there was always going to be a bit of a regression, um, and just incredibly frustrating for them that they've ended up missing out by by the barest of margins. But watching that second half, I felt bad for Millwall fans, where. Blackburn were playing as if they had no idea that Sunderland were 3-0 up and they kind of still believed that, that they could win. And, you know, Britton Diaz's reaction to the fourth goal was as if he thought he was taking Rovers to the playoffs when, you know, it was all it was all done. If I was a, a Millwall player, I'd have been saying to anyone, who listen, lads, you, you're out of this. Your season's over. Calm down.
2: No one had signal at the day, <laughs> didn't they? That was <laughs> the only possible reason. Um, so Sunderland have crept in. They've got a really young squad, haven't they, Ben? And, and they're not kind of... Ha- they're not Sunderland in our minds, right? When Sunderland in my mind is like, you know, shoddily run, sort of real hodgepodge set of old Premier League players. That's not That's not what we are seeing at the moment.
0: No, and I think with Mowbray, just because he's been around a long time, depending on kind of what club you associate him with, that probably goes back, you know, quite a few years, or you can do. I think maybe it's easy to perceive him as, I don't know, a bit old school or, you know, root one or whatever you want to call it, but he actually... Is his, well firstly clearly he's a great manager but he, he plays really good stuff he he frees up his players that i think they're the youngest squad in the championship Diallo, obviously on loan from manchester united has been brilliant let's not forget obviously united paid i think 28 million or something stupid for him so maybe that's no surprise but still he, he's bedded him in um he's flourished clearly scored an absolutely incredible goal uh yesterday at preston jack clark's an interesting one as well because he he was so good. I remember seeing him at Leeds in that that sort of purple patch, I suppose you could call it, or that little spell where he then got that move to to Spurs, perhaps a little bit early. But he was so good for Leeds, so exciting. He was just sort of, I don't know, killing defenders in in those those few seasons back. Had a tough time of it. Um, he kind of just didn't know where he would, I don't know, really where his uh, ceiling was or where he was going, really. Uh, but very much reborn at Sunderland, um, and he's another one of those players who, were in that attacking third they just been fully... Um, I don't know, they, just, they play really good stuff and they, I don't know, as you say, they're a totally different team to perhaps what you'd expect to see. They're not just uh, sort of meat and potatoes, as it were.
3: Just uh, there's one issue here for Sunderland. I mean, they come into this in unbelievable form and it kind of feels like Personnel doesn't really matter for them given that Danny Bart and Dan Ballard have been injured for the last few weeks. They're two main centre backs. But they went into yesterday's game with Luke O'Neill, who was classically a holding midfielder, turned into a right back, now playing a centre back as one of the centre backs, and Tri Hume, who's a right back at centre back, Lyndon Gooch, who's a right winger at right back, and then Dennis Sirkin, who is a very good left back a left back. But the issue for them is that both Gooch and Sirkin went off injured, and Tony Mowbray seems to think they're going to be injured for the playoffs. So There is a massive injury crisis at Sunderland right now in terms of their defensive um, players that are going to be available and they're struggling for bodies so they come into the playoffs in great form but I (laughs) am excited to see what that back four is going to look like come come their their first leg against Luton.
2: Yeah let's talk about Luton Ben because becoming third in the championship for Luton is an astonishing achievement really.
0: Yeah I think because we knew that they were going to be in third uh, before yesterday maybe it's Got lost or a little bit forgotten, just how incredible it is. Um, just like last season, just more miracles, really, but obviously different personnel this time. Nathan Jones, you know, for all he was really cool at Southampton, did do and has done some brilliant work at Luton. Um, Rob Edwards obviously takes over, uh, burnt by, by Watford, really. I think it was 10 games he was there. And it's just taken over seamlessly, really. And they may be playing even uh, better football, uh, probably are playing better football than, than they were previously. You know, the team really, let's face it, is kind of they've spent a bit of money. Carlton Morris has been a really good signing, but largely it's you know, there's a few frees and loans in there. Paddy Ruddock, the uh, midfielders, you know, if they were to do it, it would just be a brilliant story. He's he played for he's been at Luton since twenty fourteen. Um, when they got him from West Ham as as a youngster. He's played in the Conference League Two, League One championship. And it's not like he's you know, he's a he's not just a bit part player, he's He's a big part of that team. He's the
2: Ian Ashby of, he's the Ian Ashby of Luton.
0: Well, your words, not mine, Max, but yeah, he, um, <laughs> it, it, it's a great story. And, um, Kenilworth road, the stadium, you know, it's sort of creaking and folding down and depending on, I don't know which kind of fan you are, I suppose, whether, whether you're sort of, uh, you know, you want the corporate experience or the old school terrace. Um, maybe it's, it's, uh, one you love or you don't, but, um, that would be in the Premier League because their new stadium is not for a couple of seasons yet. Um, that's a couple of seasons away. So it's all there. It's just a, it's a great story. I do think, um, and we'll obviously touch on Coventry in a minute, but I do think both the North East teams um, will be tough opposition. I think it would be interesting how it plays out.
4: Ben, I'm absolutely sick to death of that meme on Twitter of the stand that's built into the terrace. And I'm going, oh, imagine this club in the Premier League at the Kenilworth Road. Uh, but but I'll tell you what's interesting, though. The home form's actually not been that good uh, for Luton. The they're, they're ninth best in the league, it's been their away form that's really kept them up there. Um, but yeah, it would be fascinating to see them. Well, the first team since Wimbledon, essentially, going from non-league to top flight.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, amazing. it's the people in the, you know, behind the scenes. Gary Sweet, CEO... Mick Harford, you know, still there. What, what a character? What, a, what a brilliant man? Um, obviously he's been through a lot recently. Um, yeah, it, it's a very likable club, and because of the, you know, the football they're playing. Rob Edwards again, obviously deserves a lot of credit. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great story that. I'm personally, I personally have to say, I probably shouldn't say it, but Luton Coventry, the you know, story wise, you would love to see that as a as a final.
2: Mark says, why hasn't Mark Robbins been asked to turn the country around yet? Look what he's done with Coventry in five years. So you've got Coventry, Middlesbrough, George. Talk us through it.
3: I think that Mark Robbins is unbelievably harshly treated in terms of the general way that managers are spoken about in the EFL. Like He was on the shortlist for manager of the season uh, at the EFL Awards. And the amount of anger that seems to spike in a lot of EFL fans... I mean, Rob Edwards was left off it, I think given that Rob Edwards was unfairly sacked early in the campaign, it's hard to kind of make a case for him, not having not been there for the whole season. But when you look at what Robbins has done... What do you mean, like people booing at the dinner? Well, no, I mean, luckily at the dinner, it was very, um, you know, I wouldn't boo Mark Robbins in person. Personally, he's quite a scary bloke. Um, But but he... Mark Robbins took over Coventry. He managed them in League Two. And often, I think, when you see managers who oversee like a transformative um, trajectory at a club... Nathan Jones at Luton being one example, it becomes quite obvious that they're a very well-run club with a good infrastructure and, you know, the manager is one part of, of, a, of a bigger machine. At Coventry, Robbins came into... a you know, a burning house, basically. Like, massive off-field issues under the previous owner, Sisu. They had to ground share with Birmingham. At the beginning of this season, they couldn't play any games at home because of the Rugby Sevens at the Commonwealth Games, and it meant they had a massive um, fixture congestion pile-up to deal with. They've been bought by a local businessman, Doug King, this season. Hopefully that will mean that, off the pitch, things are better. But for Robin to take Coventry from League Two to the playoff semifinals in this short amount of time, given what he walked into... I honestly think it's one of the most incredible one-club jobs we've seen in this country ever. Like, it is remarkable what he's done and you have to give that responsibility to him in terms of the revolutionary aspect of it. Maybe it's because, you know, he's not the most affable to the media or whatever but people just don't seem willing to credit him with with what he deserves in terms of of what he's done um i really hope and i I agree with ben in terms of a story if coventry were able to get back in the premier league it would crown what has been an an unbelievable job by robbins and i think he is deserving of a chance at the premier league and because he's unfashionable i can't really see any premier league club ever hiring him so this is the only way he's going to get there
2: michael carrick on the other hand Sunny is quite fashionable isn't he and and um and he has done a wonderful job because you never know how good somebody is going to be, even though they were a great footballer. And he's done such a wonderful job at Middlesbrough.
4: Yeah, and what he's also done is revive the idea that remember that time when managers would get hired and they'd say, Oh, he played under Sir Alex Ferguson, he's got all that experience. And Mark Robbins was one of those back in the day. Um and Carrick's maybe the last of those, but you know, he's come into Middlesbrough and his first full time. Role And he's just done a remarkable turnaround. And I think that's kind of encapsulated by Tuba Akpom, who's the league's top goal, goal scorer. And Carrick's work with him. You know, I spoke to him at the, the EFL Awards and he said some specifics of what Carrick's been getting him to focus on as far as his finishing goes and his movement goes um, and kind of changing his position as well. And it's those little details that have helped revolutionise Akpom's game because there was a time, you know, at the start of the season, uh, he didn't even have a a shirt number. He was going to get completely binned off. uh, And now he's got, what, nearly 30 goals uh, for Middlesbrough. Um, And that's kind of the biggest sign of what Carrick's been able to do there. Uh, And overall, you know, they've just been a a really entertaining side to watch. I mean, you know, like all the teams in the championship, they're all fallible uh, and you do get those strange results every now and then. Uh, But yeah, credit to him. He's done a brilliant, brilliant job.
2: Friend of the pod, Tom Greytrex, um, says, uh, asked West Brom's massive gamble didn't come in. Are they the next club heading into, into crisis, Ben?
0: Well, it, all the noises are pretty ominous. Um, the, the club auditors, I think, it said there's a material uncertainty about West Brom's future, which, you know, does paint quite a bleak picture. So This is the last season of Parachute Payments, so I think there was quite the need, really, uh, ideally, to, to, to get up this time. Obviously, it's not happened. In fairness to Corbrand, certainly, and West Brom, uh, you know, to even be in with a shout as they were. Uh, going into the final day is pretty incredible. I think when he took over, they were 23rd, second bottom in the division. He's done a brilliant job, is a really good coach. I worry a little bit because the, the, the statements from West Brom uh, talk about being relying on player trading and basically that, that being a significant uh, thing to, to be able to continue as a going concern. I I just don't really know where the, the player sales are coming from, looking at the West Brom team. Um, I mean, they sold Pereira for, for big money previously, and over the years, you know, they've had the odd player. And there's some good championship players there, don't get me wrong, but I'm not seeing a sort of £10 million player. It doesn't look good. Um, Corbrand signed a new contract with West Brom not so long ago, so you you think he's had some kind of assurances, but equally you know, contracts don't really mean anything. Uh, his reputation won't be dented as a result of the sort of shambles at West Brom. So, yeah, I, I'd worry about them just because I think if you are reliant on player trading, player sales, I'm just just as a sort of starting point, I'm struggling to see where, where they're coming from.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. And I exchanged a couple of messages yesterday with Ali Jones um, from Action for Albion, who I know you had on the show a few weeks ago. And... Um, You know, he really pressed the idea that things are are getting pretty perilous here. Like, I think anyone who cares about English football and you know wanting to safeguard clubs, this is you know yesterday and and West Brom. You know, having it confirmed to them that they won't be getting the Premier League next year, and having seemingly taken out a massive gamble by this loan um, from MSD, which if they don't get promoted next season suddenly they're going to get a knock on their door and ask for the money back and I don't see where that money's going to come from as Ben says there aren't really any assets that they can sell they spent a lot of money on signing Daryl DK, who's having massive injury issues and again as a saleable asset that is shrinking pretty quickly you know this is getting pretty critical now next season where if, if West Brom don't manage to get up there's going to be a, a big existential issue at West Brom and they look to me at the moment unless something changes to be the next club that we're going to be talking about in crisis terms
2: and actually in terms of crisis clubs, you look at the teams that have gone down, Wigan have 11 academy graduates in their squad for the last game of the season. Some of their players have not received wages for the fifth time this season. Reading had their points deduction, Sani for financial mismanagement. You know, they are two really disappointing stories to come out of the championship.
4: Yeah, it's an absolute mess, isn't it? Let's, Let's not paint it any other way. You know, I just don't understand how these clubs can be run in such a way or be allowed to get into this state. You know, we know the... The riches, as George mentions, you know, of getting into the Premier League there, but it can't be at the cost of the actual football club. You know, I, me as a berry fan, I know full well what that feels like. And, you know, Reading fans are going through that, Wigan fans too. Blackpool relegated too, and, and they know themselves what, what it's like, you know, under difficult ownership. And that, that's putting it mildly. Um, I do worry for both Reading and Wigan, uh, I really, really hope they can get that sorted. Uh, you know, and especially for Wigan Athletic, another Northwest club, another Greater Manchester club, really, you know, in a perilous position.
2: We do need to just briefly mention Neil Warnock, Ben, in terms of the job he did to keep Huddersfield up.
4: I, l- I heard him. I
2: think he was on Five Live, just basically being so happy and just saying, "Well, I'll do eight weeks, and then ah, that's enough for me, and then I'll, you know, I'll get the call again." And he's just, you know. He's impossible not to like when you're talking to him.
0: He is. And as I say, don't even begin to apologise for saying we do need to cover that off happily, Max. He's, uh, I have to say, uh, just a brilliant character. Obviously, uh, he's retired a hundred times, isn't he? He's, I think he said after yesterday, you know, I've already said to the lads, make sure I don't come in next February. Um, but you, you genuinely wouldn't rule it out, um, such as his appetite. Um, has done an un- unbelievable job at Huddersfield. And I think Huddersfield had to swallow a bit of their pride, really, in terms of, obviously, they had Corbrand, um You know, they had the head coach model. Uh, Mark Fotheringham didn't work. Obviously, Schofield didn't work before that. You know, Neil Warnock is, is anything but that breed. But, um, you know, needs must. And he's uh, galvanised the whole place. They love him. And, and his, obviously, sidekick Rod- Roddy Jepson, who he's just yeah, sort of per- perennially with. um yeah, just great. I mean, obviously they beat Reading and it's just I think there's a great stat, wasn't there? Warnock's managed something like 1,400 games and poor Noel Hunt in caretaker charges, I think, managed six or seven. So a long way to go for uh, for Noel. But um, yeah, no, Warnock, unbelievable job. Uh, and yeah, I wonder what he'll get up to. uh wonder where, because he was in New York when uh, he got the call this time. So I wonder where he'll be when when the call comes next January, February, wherever it is.
2: Uh, before I end the championship, and I'm, I'm, I'm wary that we... Uh, don't have a huge amount of time for League One and Two, but we will cover them, I promise. Um, give us just a player or two to pick out from this season, or you know, one to watch that perhaps people who watch the Premier League and Premier League only won't have seen or won't know anything about, um, uh, George.
3: So two players I've kind of written down, one one to watch and one one of the players of the season. Jordan Bayer is a centre-back at Burnley who was on loan from Brucey you mentioned Gladbach, and he is, I think, probably the best centre-back in the league up there I mean Arnold Ahmed Hodzic is another one and he's got back to mention Gladbach and I'd be amazed if there aren't Premier League clubs in for him I'm sure Burnley will want him back a really good ball playing centre back who's just brilliant defensively too you know Burnley are one of those sides where when um, you know you get praised a lot for the good attacking stuff but it doesn't really work unless you're solid defensively and they have been that and I think Barry has been the key reason for that and then Blackburn have a central midfielder called Alan Wharton and I can basically guarantee you right now that he'll play for England um, and will be a massive superstar. He has an absolutely disgusting amount of natural talent. He's a total baller in the middle of the park. Um, his ball-playing ability is something to behold. I have no idea why he was taken out of the side for three or four months by Thomason um in the middle of the season when he was still fit. He's come back into the team and he just looks a complete cut above. I think he'll probably have another season at Blackburn next season, but he's... You know, if you're looking for the next Jude Bellingham uh, or someone like that, then he's the one.
2: Sonny.
4: Well, it's funny, funny you should mention uh, Adam Wharton though. He scored against Millwall and, and ran over to the crowd and pointed to his shirt, A. Wharton, because he's got a couple of brothers as well. So definitely doesn't want a bit confused for those. Uh, I've got to go with, it, it sounds like hyperbole, and it is for me to say that Victor Jacarese is almost like the championship, Erling Haaland. Some of the goals he's scored this season, his directs running, his, his pace and his power, he's, he, he's just been brilliant. He's got 22 overall, 10 assists as well. 40 goals in two seasons at Coventry City. Um you know he's only 24 as well and I think if Coventry don't go up you know he's he's served his time at Cov. I think there'll be a, a few clubs sniffing around him because we talk about you know how difficult it is to get a number 9 he is the man who can do pretty much everything it could be a 10 or a 9. Ben.
0: Yeah, I mean I'd go for Alex Scott at uh, Bristol City. 19 years old, midfielder, number 8, uh, playing well, play across midfield but he's just brilliant player. Um played, I think, over 100 senior games now at 19. And apart from Bellingham, who you know, is a bit freakish, really, in terms of how he's come through and his rise, uh, you know, that's pretty extraordinary numbers. Made his debut uh, for Guernsey, he's from Guernsey uh, at 16, the men's team, was training with them, Trained with the men's team at 15, came on trial to Bristol City, uh, got fast tracked through to the first team, and yeah, now basically every Premier League club is, uh, fancies a piece of him. Yeah, I think he, my well, Nigel Pearson said he'll play for England, and uh, I think uh, we could well see that. He's, yeah, superb.
2: He could play alongside the player that George mentioned, whose name has escaped me <laughs> <you> already. <laughs> in, <laughs> in, that's why I pointed his name. That'll do for part two. We'll do leagues one and two in part three. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich. every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time.
2: Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So, look, in League One, we talked a lot about Ipswich with Nick Ames. We haven't talked a lot about Plymouth. Ben says, if you even mention Plymouth, I'll eat my hat. Honestly, um, it is great, George, that they've won the league, isn't it? Especially as, you know, they don't have quite the money that some of the other clubs that, that that they were competing with have.
3: Well, I mean, they run sustainably. It's it's unbelievable the job that Simon Hallett does as their owner in terms of showing that it is possible to not only run a football club sustainably in the EFL, but also amass over 100 points. And when you consider the teams they finished above, Ipswich Town and Sheffield Wednesday, to bridge that financial gap and do so over a over 46-game season, and with that points tally, again, it's one of the most incredible achievements, I think, we've seen in the EFL in quite some time. Normally, when a team racks up a points tally like that, like Burnley, I guess, it's because they are one of the giants of the division. Um It's so funny that we got that tweet, though. I mean, there is, I I don't know if it's been deliberately a a siege mentality created by Plymouth Argyle, but there is this narrative amongst Argyle fans and players that they've been ignored all season and that no one ever talks about them. And I just don't understand where it comes from because, yeah, I mean, Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday get a lot of attention because of the the teams that they are. Um, But from where I sit, I think Argyle gets spoken about a lot, and rightly so, because. You know, there was a, a big interview with Simon Hallett on the BBC Sport website recently. I think they are held up as being the poster boys for sustainable football and and, and the way to do it. In my mind, it's just one of those classic create a siege mentality where Stephen Schumacher basically told his players to go and prove everyone wrong. But I'm not entirely sure who they're proving wrong.
2: Actually, I think we probably had a tweet from every club that got automatic promotion or exactly. playoffs and said... I don't think we've got enough credit. And you're like, well, I just don't have that much time to talk about Salford. Like what, what do you want us, what do you want us to do? Um, uh, in the playoffs, Peterborough play Sheffield Wednesday, Bolton play Barnsley. I'd be delighted, Sani, if you told me that Sheffield Wednesday, despite sort of dipping into the playoffs and being on a bit of a downer, that they'll have too much for Peterborough.
4: I mean, Darren Moore is under a lot of pressure from Wednesday fans. Uh, and, I mean, it's really hard for him, isn't it? You know, you finish the season with 96 points and you don't go up automatically. It's going to be very difficult for, for Wednesday to kind of, I guess for the fans just to not get built up and caught up in all the frustration if things don't go their way to start off with against Peterborough. Um, you know, that second leg at home uh, on the 18th of May, that that is going to be crucial. I think whatever happens, if they can just, you know, be solid at, at posh and then go back to Hillsborough, get the fans on side, I think they can get into that final because um, I, I just feel so bad for them. If they didn't, you get that many points, you don't do it. It'd be amazing.
2: Mm, sort of nuts County, like, uh, who are obviously in their playoff final. Ben Bolton-Barnsley, um, which way is that going?
0: Yeah, tough one. Uh, two managers who, you know, I don't know I'm not, not saying they're going to be Premier League managers, but two very highly rated managers, uh, definitely capable of managing the championship. I think Ian Everett just signed a new contract at Bolton, uh, Michael Duff. It Barnsley has done a really good job, I have to say. I'm quite um quite a big fan of Michael Duff did wonders at Cheltenham. I was really pleased to see him
2: and a nice nice chap. Yes, as well, makes it he? makes yeah makes nice all man. the difference.
0: Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think Barnsley. I, I maybe fancy Barnsley uh, over the legs, but um, yeah, but both definitely could could do it. Obviously, Bolton have already uh, won the the Papa John's, so they've, they've had a good season.
3: Um, who's your pick in the
2: playoffs, George?
3: Yeah, I think Barnsley will. Get ahead. Get, we'll get to the final ahead of Bolton. It's interesting though that Bolton beat Plymouth Argyle four 0 in the Papa John's final recently. So if Bolton do get to Wembley, that might help them. Um, and with Wednesday, I'm always worried when it's this huge club with a um, you know with a huge expectations. It reminds me a bit of when Sunderland got beaten by by Charlton at the playoff final. Um, but they are favourites and probably rightly so.
2: Relegated, we talked about it yesterday, uh, Forest Green, and Stanley, Morecambe and MK Dons. Uh, MK Dons finished third last season, Sani, and a lot of people like went, you know, good on you, you sent MK Dons down, you know, we hate MK Dons because of obviously what happened with Wimbledon. Do we ever forgive them in the sense for existing, in the sense that there are kids now who like weren't alive when that all happened or does the principle of moving one club away from where it is is that too great to ever, like, consider them a real football team?
4: I, I appreciate that there's a lot of bullish young fans online. You know, there's YouTubers and all sorts, and they're really proud they've got this club. And that's great, you know. Uh, and we've all got that. You've got that Cambridge. I, I've got that again with Berry. Um, But you can't, you cannot, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but you cannot allow that to just pass. I know passage of time and all the rest of it and Wimbledon are back in the EFL well and truly, but no, I'm sorry. Uh, if we if we uh, if we allow that to happen, we forget our history. We can only repeat it. Oh, fair
2: enough. Um, <laughs> Coming for me now? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's, I'm just really interested. I I think I I just think I went to I did a radio show from from Stadium MK a while ago, and you know just saw lots of people going. And it felt like a football club. I completely understand. You know, I absolutely understand.
4: You are right, and you know, I was I was there for that first game uh, at at the new stadium, and it was it was lovely. It was great. You know, all those kids there, and it's brilliant. They've got a club, and I'm so happy that the people of Milton Keynes have that. The manner of it, I don't think you can ever look past it, though.
2: And actually, even asking the question, Wimbledon fans will hammer me, and and you know, I I agree with you. I just thought it was quite an interesting part of this. Ben, Adrian, Stanley, and Morgan probably punching above their weight, um, and. They've, and John Coleman and Derek Adams they've just got you know people have been so great for that club especially John Coleman the way he spoke after Cambridge beat them like the, the humility and the magnanimity that, of that guy just thought you just sort of want him to be at Accrington forever which is quite possible
0: right? yeah well yeah he's getting close to that point I think he um yeah he's brilliant he's a bit like Warnocker who we talked about earlier I suppose he, he's one of those big characters and I don't think it's any disgrace that they've gone down as George alluded to with Plymouth you know Accrington and run very very well properly you know, lots could take a leaf out of their book. Um, yeah, got a lot of time for, for uh, John Coleman and, and Andy Holt and the way they, they're very transparent, the way they do things. Um, you know, they've had a couple of seasons almost knocking on the playoffs at different points. Uh, I don't think this is any great uh, catastrophe for them. I'm not saying it's going to be easy for them to get back to this level because cause it won't be. Um, but yeah, I, I think the end of the road, they've probably outstayed their welcome in terms of, you know, nobody expected them probably to be in League One for for so long.
2: Morecambe, on the other hand, George, have have got problems, haven't they?
0: Yeah, they
3: do. Um, You know, there are issues in terms of of the current owners um, with, you know, late payments already this season. And there is a a new prospective owner. um, And, you know, I think whenever there is a prospective owner in the... um, you know, in the, in the EFL, you want to tread carefully and treat them with, you know, scepticism to start with because you wonder why, you know, what the motivation is. Um, shot Joe is a 20-year-old businessman.
2: I'm just thinking of 20, 20-year-old businessman is a funny thing, isn't it? It's like someone in The Apprentice.
3: But that seems to be the issue here. You know, he seemingly did put in a cash injection to the club at some point. You know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But I, I really hope that... Um, the kind of concern within the media and those who are football finance specialists um, is either heeded or doesn't, or, or you know, is misplaced because um, after the first relegation in their history, it would be devastating to see things get worse for, for Morecambe, who've been an incredible club over the last few years.
2: Interestingly, the for the teams going down from League One is how badly the teams who went down last year did in League Two this year. None of them threatened uh, the playoffs, let alone automatic promotion. Orient one, League 2, Stevenage 2nd, Northampton 3rd. All of their fans got in touch, Ben, to say you haven't talked enough about Orient, Stevenage or Northampton. In many ways like Northampton was the only one in jeopardy going into the last day and it, I, because of what happened last year when Bristol Rovers scored 7, which meant that Northampton didn't go up, I think for neutrals it's, it's nice that they have.
0: Yeah, I was there that day and it was still... A- be pretty tricky to top the uh, the madness of that one, even taking in four three at the City Ground last night. Um, yeah, and I don't know if you caught John Brady, the Northampton uh, manager, uh, talking. I think to Sky after the game, uh, very tearful, a touch tearful. Um, when he was asked to sort of put it all into perspective, talked about his goalkeeper coach, uh, losing his wife earlier in the season. I thought he just spoke very well about the you know the things we often forget about and overlook. You know, it's very <laughs> these are all human beings. Um. And uh, it's quite, you know, it takes its toll. There's, you know, late nights, early mornings, all the rest of it. And, and John Brady, I think, you know, the way, the manner that they lost out last season, that would have been a tough couple of months in Northampton, but they, they've gone again. Yeah, and to get over the line, automatics, I'm sure they're very grateful. And yeah, I mean, Steve Evans has done a great job. at Steven, I think we spoke before, you know, to, they were heading down last season. He saved them and now he's got them up in his first full season there. Great job. Richie Welling's done and very well, in Orient. Um, yeah, you can you know make make good cases for all three. And just a just a word uh, talking about Sean Dyche, his son Mac, Max uh, has gone up with Northampton. He's a defender for, for Northampton, so very happy Dyche household, no doubt for the last couple of days.
2: Does he look just like Sean Dyche? There's definitely does he wear? Tell me, he wears long sleeves and gloves <laughs> in winter.
0: That's there's definitely a whiff of uh, Sean Dyche in him. I think
2: an air of Dyche. Um, Salford Stockport Bradford Carlisle in the playoffs part of me would like to see Mark Hughes do well George probably because I've just it sort of impresses me that someone has gone down so far down the divisions rather than just going to, you know I just don't need football anymore I've got so much money but how do you see the playoffs panning out
3: it, it kind of feels to me like Mark Hughes is playing football manager where he's in a part in his career where he's like yeah I'm going to go down take on a, a massive club in League 2 and try and lead them back to glory um, and this is the first opportunity to get a promotion um, they got a draw um, against Leyton Orient on final day to force their way into the playoffs, which um, is, is a decent achievement, I guess. They had some some hopes of breaking into the top three uh, before a midweek uh, defeat against Crew scuppered those. Um, Stockport versus Alford is interesting. You know, two um, Greater Manchester sides with fairly rich benefactors um, who I think you know have, have massive ambitions, and, and if either of them are successful, will be a force in, in League One next season. Um, Stockport surprisingly failing to beat Hartlepool to put the pressure even on Northampton, uh, missing a late penalty in, in that game. But I do think Stockport are, are the rightful favourites to go up. They've been brilliant this season after a slow start. Carlisle, uh, the other team who make up the, the four, um, who come into the playoffs in some pretty muddling form, but it shouldn't be forgotten where they were when Paul Simpson took over last season. You know, that Their very EFL status was, was under threat, um, kept them safe easily and now has them in the playoffs, which in itself is a, an amazing achievement.
2: Hartlepool are down, Rochdale are down. Um, Rochdale haven't been down in 102 years. Sunny, in your patch as well, Rochdale. Um, and uh, it just sort of, yeah, when they never, you know, they'd stayed in the fourth division or the fourth tier for so long and then they went up once and down once. But it's sort of just, they are just classic division four. It'll be weird that they're not there.
4: Yeah, it will be. Um, they're the classic sports report name that that's the only time you really hear them. But, you know, they've they've not, there's been a downward spiral for a while now um, since they you know, cut the cloth post-pandemic and, and released a lot of high earners. They didn't recruit or replace well. They brought in a lot of young players in experienced management as well. Uh, I think it's the third manager of the season now. Um, and Jim McNulty, who, who is a player, has been there a long time as well. He's kind of, brought some positivity and some and some decent results there maybe if he can stay in for next season they can steady the ship I don't see them coming up from the National League next season I think for them it, it's kind of a bit of survival they've had their own ownership issues as well um so yeah it, it's it pains me to say it living in Greater Manchester um but you know we've got a lot of clubs around here that you know Salford and, and Stockport aside that have in real have real issues at the moment and you know I hope Rochdale can just go out of this and keep themselves okay and come back because we've seen Oldham Athletic struggle this season as well in the National League. But
2: Barry are back at Gig Lane and this is enormous, uh, yes. right? I mean, like you, <laughs> we talked about this, you know, Bury's obviously very close to your heart and we've said it before that when a club goes out of business or is really struggling, if it isn't your club, you don't really give it the attention it deserves because you've got a life to lead and other things to worry about. Your club exists and that's just a constant for you and I guess when it happens to your club, it is different.
4: Yeah, uh, and you've got to remember when Berry got expelled in, in August 2019, they were the first club in nearly 30 years for that to happen. It became a national news story. BBC Breakfast came from Berry Market. They had journalists from Brazil and Japan all coming over. We had uh, Joy Hart, the former director you know, handcuffed to a drain pipe to try and save the club and you know make a make a statement. Um, since then, so to give you the, the short version, um, a group of fans started Bury AFC, fan run team starting in division ten, they're now in division nine. Another group of fans managed to get control of Gig Lane and Bury F C the name and the badge and the history. There was a vote to bring them back together in October, which didn't pass. It's the perfect microcosm of our times. It's the most marginal seat in the UK. All this fake news is around about hidden agendas and all the rest of it. But now a second vote happened. Who'd have thought a second vote, eh? Um, and now it's brought them back together. And next season, there will be a Berry FC team playing at Gig Lane. It'll be in Division Nine. All the fans are together. And really interesting, on the on the statements that's come out from both clubs, they've said that, you know what? Actually, the first no vote was kind of quite good in a way it kind of it flushed out all that uh, anger and actually made everyone realize actually if we don't come together we won't have a club anymore we will never get back to where we were where we were for 125 years we've got to come together uh and it felt like such a, a weight of relief it's been hanging over me for the last five years four or, four or five years uh, and i feel just unburdened from it now really looking forward to it
2: delighted delighted to hear it um Arguably less importantly, but many listeners might say more importantly, Kim says, "What car does Ben Fisher drive, and does it have parking sensors?"
0: Uh, No parking sensors, and a Mini.
2: Ah, you're quite a big man, aren't you? It's sort of like sort of of Mr Bean-esque. You sort of get. Is Mr Bean big? Is Mr Bean big?
0: I've probably got the same mannerisms as Mr Bean. I don't know about aesthetically.
2: Yeah, there's a bean, there is a beanness. I mean it in a like, I mean it in an affectionate way. Ben. You can say
0: gangly, Max, that's
2: fine. <laughs> gangly, yeah, yeah, there's a gangliness.
0: That's a nice way to finish, isn't it? That's
2: yeah, well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize, Ben. Would you want an official apology? Are you okay? No, you no, seem absolutely to be not. no, 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 quite oh, good. Um, parking sensors, by the way, because the Subaru, which I haven't mentioned uh, recently, uh, it even has a camera, and that is honestly. You don't look out the front, you just stare at the camera reverse around town. It's marvellous. Apparently, we have to go. That'll do for today. Uh, Thanks so much, Sani. Great debut.
4: Pleasure. Pleasure.
2: Uh, Cheers, George. Cheers, Max. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sarnes, and we'll be back uh, with uh, Real Madrid Manchester City in the Champions League tomorrow.
0: This is The Guardian.